Welcome to a culture of innovation. We interview exceptional leaders who embrace and demonstrate innovation. Hear their stories and listen as we explore turning ideas into tangible ways to create value and cultivate innovation as a way of life. Listen and be inspired as an innovative leader. Together, we shape culture and change the world. Culture of Innovation is brought to you by Ridge Innovative, where we practice innovation with a purpose to help companies use technology and breakthrough strategies to achieve business outcomes. And I'm your host, Nancy Ridge. And today, I'm especially delighted to welcome our special guest, Faisy Fateh. A little bit about Faisy. He is the CEO of Corrent Tech a digital transformation technology leader named among the top 100 most disruptive private companies. A technology visionary, inventor, innovator, and entrepreneur, Faisy was the recipient of the 2019 Cody Lifetime Achievement Award. This is a very amazing award. It was previously bestowed on Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Bill Gates. And Faisy uh, was the recipient for his significant long-term contributions to the software industry, as well as his industry leadership, what's close to my heart, mentorship, and philanthropy. A Silicon Valley veteran, Faisy studied at Cambridge, Princeton, UT Austin, and UCLA. And he has given talks at Harvard, Wharton, Stanford, Caltech, Carnegie Mellon, as well as the commencement speech at our own UC Irvine here in Orange County in 2022. He was featured in Forbes as a disruptor in the software industry, and Forbes Books published his book titled Democratizing SaaS on how Corn's breakthrough technology was named best 2022 platform as a service is poised to transform the software industry into a service industry and create tens of thousands of new high-paying jobs in the process. The book inspired me to title this segment, Innovating SaaS for Everyone. Welcome, Faisy. Hi, Nancy. It's such a pleasure to be on this call with you and share some of our experiences what really uh, was a fun trivia to find out that we both started at Honeywell after we graduated <laughs> school. What, what a small world and uh, see where we are today. So it's such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to once again be able to deliver on our promise to our listeners here by having you share your vision of innovation with a purpose through the democratizing of SaaS. And I myself have been so inspired by the work you're doing. It really is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show today, Faisy. Plus, you know, in addition to the Honeywell uh, background, we found that we both have a, a sense of humor and really <laughs> like to help young people get started in this crazy technology business. So it, it's really fun getting to know you, Faisy. Likewise. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Looking forward to our conversation. Yes. Well, let's kick it right off. Although it seems elemental, would you please begin by just describing the difference between software and SaaS, including the four main misconceptions about SaaS? Right, right, right. So um, one of the chapters in the book, Democratizing SaaS, 
are dedicated to demystify the concept. Unfortunately, there is a lot of misconceptions about software as a service. The, the biggest one is people say, oh, don't worry about it. We are already running on the cloud. Uh, it's like saying, don't worry, uh, we're, my software is running on a computer. Well, I mean, running on the cloud has nothing to do with being SaaS and efficient SaaS, etc. That's a misnomer number one that just because you're simply running on the cloud, which is the natural place to run uh, a software besides personal productivity software you run on your computer, then uh, you're not SaaS just because you're running on the cloud. The next one is if people can subscribe to our software, we are SaaS. Well, it's hard to argue with that, but are you an efficient SaaS? Are you a profitable SaaS? just because people can subscribe to your software and people could subscribe to mainframe software 55 years ago. It wasn't SaaS. Uh, your backend doesn't run profitably. Your margins uh, are laser thin. And uh, so just the fact that somebody can subscribe to your software, uh, like it's if somebody can jump on your car and you take them to LA at $2,000 per uh, spending gas, and they're willing to tell to give you 120 bucks, you're not in a profitable business. Yeah, you, you do run a limo service, but not an efficient one. That's another misnomer that if people can subscribe to it, it's SaaS. The other one is um, it's really easy to deliver software applications as efficient, scalable, SaaS. Yeah, I've heard uh, that one. That is not true. <laughs> and I can give a lecture, a commencement speech on that. And lastly, uh, it's, people believe it's easy to build in all the as-a-service capabilities uh, yourself when you're delivering, when you're developing your software. The, it's not. It's really difficult. It used to take about five years. It now based on some productivity tools will take about three years of effort by 10 highly paid software experience engineers. So the fact that you can easily build all the as a service capabilities in your software when you're developing your software, uh, it's a misnomer. The wisdom is if your software is a good thing, put all your effort into your software and don't try to build the as-a-service capabilities because those are the capabilities that are in common between you and tens of thousands of other SaaS companies. Mm. So once again, bringing automation to that as-a-service component of software. Exactly. And that is the key. And we had the vision over 20 years ago, 23 years ago, to say, look, this at delivering a software as a service is a repetitive task. It's reinventing the wheel for every software and for good of humanity and good business. Why don't we build it once and let everybody use the delivery mechanism to deliver the unique, specialized uh, software to the world, whether it's healthcare, medicine, education, environment, everything else, 
why you spend so much of your time and effort in working on bells and whistles of how to delivering the software. Why don't you build the best software that would save lives, enhance right. commerce, and help people's livelihoods? Yes, exactly. Um, and that, that really leads into, you know, this ne- next uh, question I wanted to ask. Um, you know, we've seen the the prediction going back to 2011, you know, Mark, Mark Anderson's prediction of software is going to eat the world. And of course, we've, we've pretty much seen that come true. Here we are now in 2023 in both business and consumer markets. You know, you have uh, all kinds of software across the board, whether it's CRM, PRM, ERPs, or, you know, some of the really popular ones like Slack or Zoom uh, or Canva, they are seemingly taken over. Yet to your point, you know, there are plenty of amazing breakthrough ideas that are out there, yet not all great software gets to the level of the ones I just mentioned. Uh, what do you see as the biggest barrier to getting high software adoption rates? Because that's really what it's about, right? Is getting it known and getting it adopted. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when somebody uh, sets on a course of developing a new software solution, uh, there are two major mega considerations they have to keep in mind. Are we addressing a major big need in the world? And number two, can we deliver this solution efficiently and in a time-effective uh, time way and in a cost-effective way? So companies like, can you imagine the world without Uber or Lyft? Can you imagine the world without GPS? Can you imagine the world without even DocuSign these days? Can you imagine the world without open table? You just go there, found, find the kind of restaurants, the kind of food you have, blah, blah, blah. So these companies address major needs uh, in the market. And believe me, there are hundreds of major needs that are unmet. And the one reason for not having solutions for that. Let me give you an example. For example, Salesforce.com met the need for every company needs to manage their Salesforce and manage their customers and follow up with their prospect. That is across the world, every company, no matter whether you sell products or service, you need it. And they created Salesforce.com as the first uh, pervasive uh, SaaS CRM or SFA Salesforce automation solution. But imagine how many more applications that every single company in the world needs. For example, whether you have a service or solution, don't you don't you have a support call? People call to report something is not working or how to do this and to do that. Is there a pervasive software that every company in the world use in order to do trouble ticketing and logging the support in a way that people are not frustrated, resentful, angry, and all this negativity and wasting time? No, but there is a solution out there called eTicket. A young man that you met a few days ago at UCI took that eTicket created a company named AutoTicket, 
by upgrading the user interface processing in two weeks and plugged it in current SaaS ops and voila, it's the a new star was born. Now in two, three, four years, if you're not using auto ticketing, something's wrong with your company. The same way if you're not using Salesforce, and of course, many competitors to Salesforce, something may not be right about your company, you're not maximizing the solution. So one is finding the right need, the right uh, gap in services in the world to address. The other one is effectively and cost effectively and time effectively address the solution like this young man Vic addressed and boom, within two weeks, he's bringing up a solution in the world that could dramatically help uh, increase the efficiencies of following up with travel ticketing across the industries across the world. Yeah, he's really got something there. I actually spoke to him today and uh, that's why I like to say, you know, we both share that passion for helping young inventors and innovators really get a foothold. And, you know, I, I can see a lot of uh, addressable market for what he's doing. It, it, it's going to really take off. But the, the thing that you're, you're touching on here that really um, had an impact on me, you know, with my background in sales operations you know, I'm always concerned with, you know, how are things working on the back end? You know, uh -huh. you have this great idea or product that you want to deliver, close that gap, like you mentioned, solve the problem, delight the customer. And yet all of that can be very well thought out and, and potentially even executed. But, you know, how do you do that at, at scale? You know, how do you make sure that the customer has a good experience all the way through and you know and the customer can be more than the end user it might be your internal people you know it might be staff right it might be your own operations folks exactly you you nailed it yes yeah so you know when i when i hear you talking about this technology this ability to create that back office capability the as a service component of SaaS, uh i wonder you know why uh, ISVs are still building out their own SaaS capabilities. You know, they, you would think that, you know, they would jump on the bandwagon too, right? Right, right, right. I believe uh, uh, the reason for it is number one, uh, the news, the news hasn't reached out to them that there is a better way. They believe uh, it's like, Engineers, when I was uh, like an undergrad at UT Austin, the concept of databases were very novice. A lot of people didn't understand. We had a class called in my, my graduate program called data structure. And data structure was uh, people who passed data structure were guaranteed to have a good life. People who didn't pass, they could work boss tables and work at the restaurants and so on. That was like kind of the, the joke in school. That was the make or break. It's like you're climbing a mountain. If you can go over a, a peak, then you're on the other side. And, and with the invention of databases, nobody needs to understand data structure. We, we, we had to build our own data structures in order to have an application that stored 
data and on demand could find data through indexing and brings it back. Nowadays, people simply plug into a database and it provides all those capabilities to them. The same with uh, as a service capabilities that core and SaaS ops provides is like the equivalent of the first database that people could use. Uh, a lot of people don't know about it, number one. Well, we're, hoping to help, we're hoping to help change that here. <laughs> we are hoping to change that here to get the word out. Yes. Uh, thank you, Nancy, for doing your, your part here and for me to share time in order to get the word out. The second part is some people are kind of stubborn. They say, hey, I run a software company. This is software. I can do it myself. And it's a bit... Um, not so, in my mind, intelligent approach, because if your software is worthwhile, let's say it's a healthcare medical software, why not getting it to as many people as fast as possible versus taking three years and $10 million building your own distribution mechanism? Putting that aside, my counter logic to them is since you're a software company and you can build your own as a service delivery mechanism. Have you ever thought about building your own databases? Why do you use somebody else's database? Isn't it software? Why not build your own operating system? Windows or Linux isn't that software. A bunch of software engineers design and develop that. And when I ask those questions, they go completely silent. It reminds me, I was on a, a call today with a customer, uh, a very smart engineer who's been working with networks for many, many years. And, you know, we were talking about a, an application with his network and the provider asked him if he wanted to do the hands-on adjustments himself or if he'd prefer to have those done by the service provider through the automation tool. And he said, well, you know, I can do it. I've, I've done this type of work forever. He goes, but I also know how to work on my car, but I take my car in for service when it needs it. I don't Brilliant. do it myself. So we know, need more, more, more smart, practical people like that. It's like me 20 years ago when I moved to Southern California from Silicon Valley 22 years ago. For the first time, I decided, you know what? There are people who make a living doing your taxes for you. Just because I'm smart enough, gone to business school, and I can figure it out, that's not the best way of use of my time. And that was one of the most brilliant decisions I made, Nancy. <laughs> Probably saved me tens of thousands of dollars as well. <laughs> well, and I think some of this uh, speaks to the growth mindset that... Yes. Uh, that is so important for organizations to continually take their own inventory on, like, how are we doing with a growth mindset? Because, right. you know, I, we've talked a lot about breakthrough new uh, software technologies, but what about, you know, the internal machine of software for, you know, large enterprises where they have uh, developer teams internally? You know, I see the same uh, benefit there as well. Exactly, exactly. Like, for example, Samsung came to us. They said, look, we have this product called Cello, uh, C-E-L-L-O. 
and it manages the logistics parts for suppliers around the world and internal division uh, divisions of, of Samsung. And we want to turn it into SaaS that developed it over 25 years, but it was not SaaS. And you're the only company we have found who can uh, SaaS enable or SaaSify an existing non-SaaS solution. Can you really do that? And we say, yeah, in most cases we can do that. <laughs> and we can do it in a few days with no programming. Uh, the, the bottom line, we did it for them, and that could save millions of dollars a year for them. The same with Boeing, parts management C-17 aircraft that uh, in the last few years we've seen a lot on the news carrying thousands of people, one of the largest uh, uh, carrier planes in the world. And uh, uh, the parts management for it, thousands of parts and every division of Boeing and partners of Boeing and customers who have bought C-17 from the U.S. Air Force. Uh, imagine if you can deliver that SaaS management part, uh, that the parts management software as SaaS. And we SaaS enabled it. And actually, Orange County Register covered us as the, the centerpiece front page of Business Monday a few years ago that, you know, uh, a kind of task that some of the multi-billion dollar companies couldn't do in years. An unknown Orange County company did it in 18 days. And 18 days of a few years ago is 18 minutes today. Uh, and it's, it's magical to provide that kind of cost effectiveness, time effectiveness and efficiency, bring it to market, whether it's U.S. Air Force and Boeing and whether it's a medical division or a bank uh, supporting the poor people in the world, MIFOS, microfinance, open source. Oh, I love that and story. Would you, mind, would you mind sharing about that one? Because it is such a great case study. Yeah, in 2006, really... if I'm not mistaken, if not 2007, the, for the first time, not a politician, but an economist won uh, the Nobel Prize for Peace. Uh, and the Nobel Prize was uh, Dr. Mohammed Yunus from Bangladesh, uh, who of course lives in the U.S. nowadays, and he came up with the idea of microfinancing people who are in underdeveloped, underserved countries who don't have any social safety. Generally, widows, when the husband passed away, yeah. uh, they just had no 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 skills, no budget, no bank account, no credit line. And it lend, start lending money mostly to widows and later to other people who were desperately in need in order to buy some equipment and start a business of some sort. And quote unquote, the equipment brings uh, tears to my eyes. Sometimes it was buying a few, uh, you know, sweeping floors, equipment for just sweeping somebody else's floor and be a oh. cleaning person. And mm. Just give them like equivalent of five dollars to buy their whatever the minimum is to uh, start a business and be productive, and then over time these people paid that money back, maybe ten cents a month or a quarter, and with a little bit of profit, so that the organization becomes self-sufficient and they can give money to other people. So that microfinancing, microcredit 
became the Gromian Bank in the U.S. with the support of some uh, major organizations, such as, I believe, Rockefeller Foundation and so on. And Microsoft, uh, right? Microsoft. And, yeah. So that was the original bank. And then Microsoft and a few other people, IBM, Ginny Rometty, and VMware uh, CEO Paul Moritz, who became president before was president of Microsoft, they decided to build a software to enable this microfinancing, microcredit, except after 12 years until year 2019, beginning right, right beginning of the pandemic, Corrent decided to make that solution SaaS without charging them any money wow. uh, as a contribution. And Microsoft agreed to host them on Azure and that software, MIFOS, Microfinance Open Source, that software is now prolific and it's helping 2 billion plus unbanked or underbanked people around the world with economic prosperity, with a foundation of having an economically viable life. Uh, how wonderful is that? That's that the technology so you build can have such, such impact. And uh, so, yeah, that is, that is really the essence of what we're talking about yeah. here, making a difference. Yeah, so much. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, Faisy, for that. And, you know, that is the essence of philanthropy and, and of using the gifts and talents and resources that we have to impact the lives of others, people who are less fortunate. So I, I really love that story. And, you know, it, it creates that vision, I think, between, you know, those few uh, case studies that you mentioned, whether it's the startup entrepreneur or the big, you know, global aerospace company or, you know, a, a microfinance uh, global bank, you know, there's just seems to be a tremendous opportunity here. What is your vision for this from a business growth perspective? Yeah, my, my vision, first of all, the sky's the limits when you come up with such a disruptive technology. And even the inventor, in this case, myself and my colleagues, we cannot even imagine uh, what is the full-fledged ultimate application of this technology and what it can do. From what we can see, Nancy, my initial first step vision is to create, to help create, to be the facilitator, the catalyst to create 1,000 new SaaS companies. The same as VIX that we demonstrated at UCI campus in two weeks from just being, being a student recently graduate to be a proud CEO of a SaaS company that could be in the ranks of Salesforce.com in three to five years uh, from their CRM perspective. So that is a heartwarming and also open the door to people who are underserved. They haven't had the privileges that some of us we've had in the world and uh, close, try to close the digital gap and the access to money that you need tens of millions in order to build a SaaS company. Vic said it on the podium that with under $400, he created his brand new SaaS company because of SaaS ops, 
because of this disruptive technology that we bring to the market and it takes away all these years of effort uh, and money that is needed to support it. So that is one vision. And th the other one is uh, looking at Global 2000. I jokingly ask my friends, guess how many people are in, how many companies are in Global 2000? And generally they pause and then they laugh. I said, oh, the answer is in the question. There are 2000 companies in Global, <laughs> Global 2000. He said, do you know on average how many software applications these companies have built in order to run their business? We're talking about Walmart, uh, Johnson & Johnson, FedEx, these global 2000 companies. I, I did a research on average, like companies like IBM, they have about 1000 software applications developed over the years uh, for them to run their enterprise. So my next question uh, to my friends are, guess how many applications exist in the global 2000? Of course, they have to multiply 2000 by 1000. And the answer is 2 million applications that potentially need to be SaaS enabled so that they can operate at 90% lower cost of operation and in, in a lot more accessible, manageable, usable way. So just looking at 2 million applications plus enabling 1,000 software entrepreneurs will be generating significant millions of new jobs. These are good paying jobs. When people have good paying jobs, they're better part of the society. They contribute to good causes in the society. So in a sense, be a force for good in our community, but also on a global basis. Uh, we live in a very small planet. We want uh, the peace on the globe and people to collaborate with each other to help innovate and invent and make the, the, the planet a better place. As we can see from an environmental perspective, it's not my neck of the woods, it's the entire forest and the jungle that would share the benefits of having good practices on environment, on healthcare, on economic prosperity. So hopefully we'll have a small role uh, in such uh, aspirational vision. That's fantastic. I, I fully support that vision and I love the global perspective. Uh, I agree that our world is getting smaller all the time and we continue to learn that you know, what's good for me is, is also good for the person across the globe. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's, it's, and, and I also, there's a quote in your book that talks about uh, how the world is bursting with great ideas that simply never get to see the light of day. And I find that very inspiring, just like, you know, the, the banking application. Uh, there are so many folks who, or even the, the young graduate from UCI who may not have the means of doing this, but they have the ideas that we can all benefit from. So that's a vision. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of diversity, uh, equality, and inclusion of DEI. And as a certified woman-owned business, you know, I'm eager to share this podcast with some of the ladies who 
you know, are starting their own businesses and continue to have difficulty, you know, getting funding. Right. And yet there's so many good ideas. Well, here's another way that you can go to market without necessarily needing to get all of those big dollars in your hand right. first. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. In support of what you're saying, Nancy, which resonates really well, imagine that you're a movie director, movie producer, and you produce a phenomenal movie uh, which should win the Academy Award, the Oscars, but you don't have the means to distribute the movie around the world. You don't have the connections with movie theater owners in the cities, major cities in the world. You develop it. You go to a couple of these shows here and there, and then the movie dies because you don't have the distribution mechanism, the wealth and the connections that is needed. And then, boom, a new technology shows up called Netflix. You can go and drop your movie there, and instantly people around the globe have access to watch your movie. So what we have done here with SaaS Ops is some people uh, refer to it as the Netflix for the software industry. Mm, Not only give the developers uh, the means of distributing their software, but the people who need that software, like like the the microfinancing we were talking about, to have cost-effective access to that software. They can watch the movie uh, and so on. Uh, So... It it just one small step in the broader uh, uh, force for good uh, steps that are taking place in the software industry, whether it's DocuSign, OpenTable, Uber, Lyft, GPS, and so on. This is just another one that some people refer to it as technology-enabled entrepreneurship. We create entrepreneurs, boom, within a week or two, as long as they have entrepreneurial attitude, which is, by the way, the title of a book that I was honored to write a chapter in it or have an interview in it called The Entrepreneurial Attitude, which is what we need, but also we need the tools to support people with entrepreneurial attitude in order for them to succeed and make the world a better place. You bet. You bet. Uh, at, At Rigid Innovative, we like to call that innovation with a purpose. I completely love it. You bet. bet. Okay. So as we start to wrap up our talk today, I always like to close by having a little fun. And I'm curious uh, with your mindset to ask you this question. What uh, maybe we say invention or innovation would you most like to see gain adoption? Uh, aside from SAS ops, of course, and it, <laughs> it, it could it could be anything. You know, we've right. had previous guests mention all kinds of things. You know, from magic right. mirrors to teleporting, you name it. Right, right, right. Well, thank you for asking that question. One area that I would love to see phenomenal uh, advancement, development, traction, Nancy is technology that would help human beings be a better version of themselves. And my specific uh, limited 
specific ideas. First of all, uh, some people who are using iPhone or other phones or the watch they wear, it gives them access to their health information, like the amount of heartbeats, how many steps did you walk, how many stairs did you go up and down, and so on, which is phenomenal, your heart rate. What if we can extend that phenomenally helpful health information to mental health, to emotional health? And there are people like Kathy Hawk from ClarityGetClarity.com. They have worked on this field for over 40 years and developed scientific methods of how people can be in touch with their personal energy and how quickly they can shift from a low energy to high energy. It's like getting in the flow on demand. There is science behind it. However, it hasn't been democratized. What if we use the technology and democratize not only the number of heartbeats and the number of steps we took, our emotional health, our mental health, and at the end of the day, our positive energetic health as a human being. Mm, I love that. And there's, there is so much need. You're touching on something that we see uh, just continuing to be a rising need in our society. And especially when you look at younger people too, you know, there's, there's such a high rate of depression and, and, you know, we say the technology in some ways potentially caused that with social media and some of the ways it's been, you know, misused, so to speak. What if technology could take and turn that around? I really like that vision. Thank if anybody's you. interested in that topic, Nancy, please ask them to give me a call. I have okay. ideas. <laughs> well, and I want to put uh, Kathy Hawk's information in the notes for the podcast too. So if you absolutely, would send absolutely. me that, we'll make sure we create that reference for our listeners. So absolutely. again, thank you so much for being with us today. Such really a pleasure, Nancy, and hope to see you before too long. Thank you. you. Bet. And, and for listeners, please don't forget to subscribe to Culture of Innovation at iTunes and get updates on new episodes. You'll also find us at www.soundcloud.com, Culture of Innovation. And be sure to check us out at ridgeinnovative.com. Have a breakthrough day. We'll see you next time.